no, 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 Norm over here. I want to tell you about this podcast with my buddy Lightning Willie, who's really a great guitar player, singer, very, very authentic. I've known him for many, many years. Uh, his real name is Billy Hermes. I don't know if I should tell you that, but uh, he goes by Lightning Willie and he's great. And my buddy Mike Hightower, who's a fantastic bass player, played with so many great people. And I think you'll really like this uh, episode here. Great singing, great tunes, great guitar playing and bass playing right here at the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. It's Norm here at the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Got two of my favorite characters over here. I got Wild Bill Hermes, known as Lightning Willie. And I got my buddy Mike Hightower, one of the great bass players of all times. Uh, guy known for taking people's gigs, including mine. And, uh, you know, these are two of my old, bold buddies. And these guys are as authentic as it gets. And I love it when I have guys like that around. So, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy this podcast. And uh, remember, you can get the podcast wherever you're getting this and, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, or uh, a week later at the All Guitar Network. It's free. So remember, right here, the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Hey, we rehearsed that ending about 10 times. You finally got it wrong. There you go. <laughs> so I want to tell you, I've known uh, Billy Hermes for many, many years. And I've known him as Billy Hermes, but he's been known for the last, I don't know how many years, 25, as Lightning Willie. But I knew him even before that. Oh, yeah. So back. Uh, Whoa. Lightning Willie and the Poor Boys. And these guys are the authentic deal. You know, they play the blues like uh, like it's supposed to be played. In fact, he has a new record out called... No Black, No White, Just Blues. And he's not kidding. And my buddy, Pete Anderson... Produced uh, my Produced album. it. And yeah. Pete is one hell of a guitar player, too. He also too. played bass on it, Norm. Did he really? Yeah. Well... Hightower was out of town, so Pete said, well, <laughs> I'll do it. So Pete ended up playing bass. Pete always talks about the bass player on the album. Man, the bass player on that album was so great, Willie. Who was it? I go, I uh, he's looking for a little pat on the yeah, back. Oh, Pete Anderson. Pete Anderson, we love you. you know, Pete's great. How bad could it be with oh. Pete? Because we know that he's a great guitar player. So I, I've never producer. heard him play bass, but I can only imagine that it would be really, really good. good job. And then my buddy Mike Hightower, you've played with everybody from Sting to Billy Gibbons. How'd that work out? Uh, lots of folks. <laughs> lots of folks? Uh, I, I hope they call me all, they all call me back. Huh? <laughs> Base for hire right there. Mike Hightower, Rick James. How was that? Uh, we did the record Cold-Blooded. Um, that I, I had uh, one of the first drum computers in town. <laughs> oh. And so we did all the, the drums and, and all the, uh, the, the bass was an, an emu. Even though it sounds just like a bass, but that, yeah. Uh huh. I, I believe Rick put that he played the drums on that record, but I know well, he didn't. Well, he might have pressed the button. <laughs> I, I know he didn't. He pressed the button, so that's the one thing. And let me ask you, is Lester Butler? Here's another. Lester, I, I, Lester, I was with Lester the last years of his life, and we made a lot of noise over in Europe, and to this day in Holland, uh, they are just a big fan of Lester Butler. Where a lot of the blues scene. Doesn't really know as much about him as, as the Europeans do, but they, they're really, yeah. Yeah, and also uh, John Legend, what was that all? That was at Sundance Film Festival, and John actually sang blues. Uh, really? John, John can sing some blues. And John actually cut a tune that I wrote years oh, ago wow. with Bobby Caldwell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, uh, it was actually cut by this guy Common, this rapper, too, and they mm -hmm. took part of the... Uh, verse and made it the chorus and it was known as the light 
Uh, and we actually got a, a gold record for that. And then uh, John Legend must have heard the original uh, that Bobby did, Bobby Caldwell, and um, and he cut it. So every once in a while, I even get a check, you know. There so, you go. Uh, kind of cool. <laughs> Little mailbox money. And then you play with Eric Burden and the Animals. That's yeah, uh, pretty just, cool. Just uh, really, uh, uh, I was such a fan f- growing up, and then to finally be called for the gig was just fantastic uh, i just love eric and i love the the gig was great we I did a few animal shows yeah very cool i mean that was uh, he's one of the most soulful white guys oh yeah on the planet and you know again all those guys in england they were kind of appreciating the american music thing mm-hmm. and they kind of all these guys that were kind of gone and almost forgotten they brought them all back to life you know by honoring the uh you know the blues and the R&B stuff. And then you play with Bobby Womack, who's another one who a lot of the other Brits, you know, yeah. found him. And Bobby Womack is one of my all-time favorites. Well, not unlike, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi brought a lot of people, notoriety to a lot of people. And I got to play with them at, at one time. John was a friend of mine, and uh, Dan and him, we did the Blues Brothers show. Really? Yeah. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, Matt Guitar Murphy did that, and, and mm-hmm. also um, the great Stax bass player, oh, yeah. uh, Doug, Doug Dunn. Dunn, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember one time um, they were playing with, who's that great um, great blues harp? Oh, is uh, trying to think his name again. Fantastic guy that um, they used... Um, Duck Dunn and uh, Matt Murphy and um, James Cotton. And so I remember uh, I was playing with my buddy uh, Rick Vito and we had a band called the Angel City Rhythm Band and we thought we were pretty good. And, you know, we used to walk into places and we used to go, this is going to be fun. You know, we could kind of get up there with anybody until we got up there with James Cotton and then they blew us completely (laughs) off the stage and we really learned a lot of humility after playing that gig because, I mean, you know, as far along as we thought we were, that's how far away from what we wanted to be mm-hmm. that we were. So, I mean, those guys really learned us pretty good. Uh, I was just listening to Satellite Radio coming to see you today, and James Cotton was there on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, James was like one of the great blues players and blues harp players and oh, singers, man. and he knew how to put a band together. Man, that band was badass. Matt Murphy was something oh. else. And, uh, you know, so it was, a, it was a going to school period for the Angel City Rhythm Band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, and you played with uh, all these other guys, and then you've played with loads of people around town. You know, of course, my uh, buddy Carlos Guitarlos. Carlos, man. Uh, one of the characters of all time. Here, you got to kind of discover him. He's not going to be up there with the latest, greatest booking agent telling you you're going to go see him at the Roxy or something. That ain't going to happen. Well, you're gonna have I to wonder find why. Him. I mean, Carlos is like out of control is a pretty good word. And we're going to have him do a couple tunes in the second uh, part of our podcast here. And you guys can decide for yourself. But everybody seems to love him at the store because he's as authentic as it gets. And, uh, you know, and Billy, you, you met Carlos a long time ago, too. Right? Well, I've known Carlos since the Starwood days. You remember way back when. But I'll tell I you played quick. the Starwood. We I'll, opened for Van, well, actually, Van I don't know if we opened for Van Halen or Van Halen opened for us. But uh, we were more of a blues band, and they were, you know, Van Halen. They were mm-hmm. Van Halen. And, uh, you know, uh, there was like a really cool scene in the 70s, 80s, and 90s it in was. L.A., and you guys were all a part of it. You know, there were bands like the Blasters and Los Lobos and yep. who White else? You know? I've White, got some White gigs Yoko? coming up with Bill Bateman from the Blasters. Uh-huh. Yeah. There yeah. you go. And uh, the Devils. two brothers from the Blasters and yeah. Gene, piano player. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, so, you know, all of the guys were in this scene. There were places to play. There was like the Starwood. There was a place called the Topanga Corral. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I played which, there many times. Well, I played there, I, I think it's a dubious honor, maybe 200 times. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know... Um, uh, Bear Height used to be up there, yeah. Canned Heat, those guys. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of bands. Uh, JoJo Gunn right. was another band. Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. I came by and saw the guy playing uh, Stormy Monday Blues on the cello one night there. Really? <laughs> yeah. The Topanga Corral? Well, the Topanga Corral was, I mean, it was in the middle of Topanga. It was kind of like the height of 60s and 70s hippiedom. And mm-hmm. it was drug infested. And it was one of the craziest places 
there was a guy named Topanga Dick who hang around, who would <laughs> hang around there, and uh, he was kind of like an old beatnik. Well, you know, we were young, and he was probably sixty years old right. at the time. And he would come up and he would recite poetry. He'd say, guys, just play a slow blues and let me go. And, he, you know, he would go up there. And he lived in a school bus with no motor in it behind the Tobago Corral. And all kinds of crazy stuff would happen there. I mean, some stuff that I don't even want to talk about because no. it's, uh, you know, some of it's a little embarrassing and a little out there. Well, but, L you know, Lewis, those are days, Lewis, if you could remember it. Lewis Beach Marvin, who had the big property up there, his camel fell off onto the Topanga Canyon Road one time. So, well, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you one. And this is, uh, yeah, well, there was uh, so Topanga Dick. You know, the band that we had was the Angel City Rhythm Band. We were pretty much a good dance band. Everybody loved to dance to us, and that's one of the reasons we played there a lot. You know, there'd be a we'd pack them in and. Loads of people on the dance floor. And one day, you know, we do the first set, and I see Topanga Dick's up there, and he's got like a box, and he's dancing, carrying it over his head. And, you know, I'm looking at it, and, you know, it looks like he's carrying a cake or something or some cookies in this box, but I don't know. You know, but, you know, you just kind of shake your head and go, yeah, it's Topanga Dick, whatever. <laughs> Second set, we come up, he's dancing with the box, you know. So, again, you know, I mean, not many other people would want to dance with him. You know, he was definitely out there. It was kind of acid dancing or something. I don't know what. Third set comes up, and, you know, we play three sets a night, and he's still dancing with the box. Finally, I get off the stage, and I go, okay, Dick, what's the deal with the box? He goes, that's Jeff. He was in a motorcycle wreck, and he was killed, and we're going to spread his ashes over Topanga tomorrow. It was a Saturday and night. And he wanted to dance with him the night before. Give him the last dance wow. at the Topanga Corral. That will just give you an idea what the Topanga Corral was yeah. like. Um, it was one of the craziest places ever, but it spawned a lot of great bands. Spanky and Our Gang was another mm -hmm. one that played right. there a lot. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, I played there with three different bands. And, uh, but with this, with the Angel City Rhythm Band, we played there a real lot. And then we would back up a lot of the uh, local blues guys that were around town. Um, Big Joe Turner was, who wasn't a local blues guy, but he lived around town. He lived there. And, you know, he would come up and every time he played, he would request us. Albert Collins, we would back up Albert a lot. Roy Milton, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, um, you know, just on and on, um, you know, and so it was like one of those crazy scenes, and you guys were all part of that. I mean, where yeah. else did you guys play that was kind of uh, whacked out like that? There was places in Hollywood, and where else? Well, Long. you got all the Madame Wong's. Yeah, Madame Wong's. Years. <laughs> that was Hong crazy. Hong Kong Cafe. <laughs> yeah. Then, then Esther will open up Madame Wong's West over at the old Fox and Hounds on, uh, where was that on? Santa Monica or something over Yeah, I West, think so, yeah. Uh, Big, Monica. huge you had the downstairs, you had the upstairs, and it was just like, man, Esther Wong, George and Esther Wong, Madam Wong, yeah, they, that was some days, man. There were a lot of bands that got their oh, start yeah. from there. Martha Davis, we used to play with Martha Davis, one of the motels. God, X was around back That's then. Right. Oh, yeah, man, it was good. Dwight was just coming up mm -hmm. in the early 80s. He was kind of got thrown into that, that, that end punk scene, so, you know, Pete came up with the idea of cow punk. Yeah. So they could get into the gigs, and they pulled it off, man. It was, yeah, you had the blasters you mentioned, you know, and God, those well, were just, the rhythm pigs. Yeah, they were right in yeah. there. They were right there, man. And and, and uh, Van Halen wrote that great song, "Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs," and that was like, what a great tune. It was great. Well, you kind of had to be there, and you also had to have a brain cell or two left to remember exactly, any of this yeah, stuff. I'm, I mean, it's I'm amazing lucky. we can even. That's why I got to defer to you guys on some of this stuff. <laughs> but you know, Pete Anderson, who is uh, your producer, Billy, yeah. uh, Willie, Fellow, I play Willie, with, I play in uh, excuse his band. me, Billy, Willie. That's you know, all right. It's all and, right. And uh, you know, so I keep reverting back to when I first knew Lightning Willie as Billy, and um, you know, he had a band called the Blue Monkeys, yeah. too. and it was a blues band. But you know, the funny thing is that. That, you know, when uh, Pete really got known, it was when he produced Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. And that kind of sent him into the country world, and he became one of the top producers around. Yep. But before that, he was just another one of the local guys playing the local blues playing bars. Playing a lot and of bands that. and different things. And, you know, it, Pete told me, he said, you know, when I when I first I met Dwight, it, they're playing out somewhere out in Chats where there's a country club out there someplace. And, and then uh, Dwight said, hey, will you back me up? And yeah, I'm going to do Merle Haggard, I'm going to do this. And Pete said, yeah, I can do that. So he got it and backed him up. And then Dwight pulled out one of his songs, and like Pete said, like, hey, man, who? he says, I wrote that. And Pete just said, man, you know. 
And, the light bulb went off, and he yeah, said, we can and, make some money here. And, and Pete just said, this guy, it, it was his songs that floored him. You know, and then, and then Pete helped him create an image. And, you know, Pete went to town and studied all the country stuff and said, this is how we're going to do this. And, you know, here it is. It's, you know, it's history now. But, man, that was, and that was great seeing that band back in the early days, like at Al's Bar, playing uh-huh. with Los Lobos or somebody. Or sure. playing at the lingerie or, or uh, any jacks. They uh-huh. just played all around, you know, and it was just like, wow. It was like. Wow, you know. You know, you know what was kind of cool about LA at that time? There were certain clubs that um had kind of they were kind of known for a certain type of music that right. you know, if you went in there, like there was a club called the Palomino which was oh, for yeah. the uh, a lot of the country acts and at the time it was known for country music. And if you walked in there, you knew you were going to see a country act. <clears throat> well, what happened was some brain child came up with the idea that all these clubs give uh, the band's tickets to sell. And what ended up happening was, is if you walked into the uh, Palomino back in the day, there were a hundred regulars that came in there because they loved country music and then whoever else the bands brought in right. and all that, you know. But once they started going to different formats, I mean, you know, they, you know, one night at the Palomino after their thing, it became like one night was blues night, one night was heavy metal night, right. one night was, you know, um, R&B night and you know so a lot of the regulars that used to go to those clubs didn't go there anymore because they didn't know what they, to expect I mean somebody who was a country uh, fan wasn't going to walk in and hear heavy metal and kind of go oh fantastic this is a great night I mean most of the time you know that would it kind of killed off the regulars and that happened in a lot of clubs where yeah. a lot of these clubs just uh, they wanted the bands to sell their own tickets and instead of coming in and seeing 50 or 100 people and then adding to it it was an empty house other than what you brought in. Right, exactly. That's kind of sad, you know. I, I played uh, the talent show there. One, They had a Monday night talent yeah, show. Chuck, um, I played it with, a, with a, a horn player, jazz. We were all into, like, funk jazz at the time. So uh-huh. I played it with him. And the guy that beat us, we came in second, but the guy that beat us was Michael Winslow, the... The guy, the actor from Police Academy, that does oh, really? all the, all the special effects. And his thing that night, he does a thing like Jimi Hendrix, and he does all the Jimi Hendrix and woo, woo, you know, Jimmy, uh-huh. only on an air guitar, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, but well, he was great. Uh, well, they know, he should have won. <laughs> Look yeah, at what happened with him. <laughs> yeah, you know, they didn't predict a lot of people's success. You know. Oh, and also the... speaking of people that used to hang there, that is where George Harrison. Right. Uh, told John Fogarty, you want people to remember Proud Mary like Ike and Tina? Well, you better start doing your songs again. <laughs> cool. yeah. Well, I remember playing at the Palomino with our buddy King Cotton. I think we all That's know right. King Cotton. And we were backing up um, Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Mm-hmm. You remember Screamin' yeah. Jay Hawkins? Uh, you know, he had a tune called I Put a Spell on You, and he had a bunch of other tunes. Uh, he would come out of the casket. He would come out of the casket, and he carried a casket with him. So they go to do a show, and the guy next door says, you know, there's a funeral home next door. I'll just get you a casket. You don't have to pull this one out, right? So he has a wireless mic, and he gets in the casket. He comes out, I put a spell, right? So he's got the wireless mic. He's in the new casket. He's trying to come out. It won't open. <laughs> and you can hear him inside over the wireless mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I, I got a funny story because I used to go down to uh, Johnny Otis used to have a uh, radio show and I used to go down there and I was friends with Johnny and he had his son, Shuggy, who was a great guitar player also. But Johnny had one of the guys from the Drifters and and one of the real guys from the Drifters. And they were talking about Screaming Jay and they said that uh, he would come out of the casket and as a practical joke, one of the guys in the Drifters locked the casket. Locked the casket. And so he was in there and they had the intro music and he was trying to bust open the casket and he couldn't get it open. And it was on one of those stands, like a keyboard stand or something, you know, the casket. And he... Um, kept shaking the casket until the casket actually fell off the stand, <laughs> broke open, and Screaming Jay was wearing a white tux. And the guy in the drifters, he was relaying the story, he said, and uh, Screaming Jay kind of left the trail <laughs> as he left because he kind of relieved himself because he thought that uh, that was going to be the end of the rope, you know. And then when he found out this guy from the drifters, 
um, did this. He wanted to kill him, but it turned out the guy in the drifters had like a bum leg. He was kind of crippled, so uh, he kind of had mercy on him, and he didn't kill him, but he could have been a murder that night, you know. <laughs> so uh, Screaming Jay was a character. He used to come out. He had a suit that he would wear. He'd have suits, and they looked like somebody's curtains from like a funeral right. home or something <laughs> like that. I mean, I don't know how he had this suit made. It was like the worst material, like this crazy silk, almost Asian theme thing. But, you know, uh, somebody sewed it together, made a suit. And he had a pole with a skeleton head on it. And he right, called right. it Henry. And he'd bang it on the floor and he'd go, Henry, Henry. And, uh, you know, and it was like all part of the deal with him. He actually was a pretty good singer, but he was more of a showman and he realized that. So he was like on a lot of these oldies shows where that was a thing and was coming out of the coffin and doing the whole thing. But that was one night, I guess, he probably really didn't care for. <laughs> well, you come out of a casket every night, you're going to have some issues, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. 300 dates Dreams. a year, there's got to yeah. be a few. <laughs> well, you know, these days, you know, all of us are getting a little bit older. We're kind of, sometimes that thought may cross our mind, you know, more than when we were young, you know. We all thought we'd live forever. We did all we could to kind of shorten our lifespans. Now we're here, we're trying to, you know, eat health food and stick around for a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of funny now that we're all so healthy, <laughs> you know. But I, I want to give you a quick story real quick. I was over in England touring, and I played the Cone Blues Festival, which is a mighty festival in England. I'll be there next year, thank goodness. But um, I'm backstage, and it's funny. I'd gone to a record store. I'm in a record store, and I see all these Carlos Guitarlos CDs in there. I went, "Wow, it's Carlos!" Must have been a closeout. That was that was kind of <laughs> cool. And they had a poster of him really? and the window. And I went, "Wow, that's kind of cool." So anyway, we get to the Cone Festival. I'm backstage, and I hear this, and I look, and I went, "Man, it's Carlos!" And you were playing bass for him, yeah. So I say, Carlos, what's up? He's going, what, what, what the, are you doing here? <laughs> Why I'm are going, you here? <laughs> well, I'm playing. No, you're not. All right, no, I'm playing here. You know, I said, all right. And it turned out Mike was here. Now this harmonica player I played with in England, Giles King, was a phenomenal harp player, just adored the Red Devils. Oh. He loved Lester. Oh. Oh. And I remember after the after the that that night of playing, we all went back to the hotel and we're hanging out at the bar talking. So I introduced Giles to Mike. I said, this guy used to play with Lester. And Giles just, he dropped his beer because that was his, like, idol. And he yep. met somebody who actually knew him, actually played with him. I don't know if you remember that, but Giles, yeah, I do now. I we do still him. talk about it. I mean, I was just played with him three months ago. I was over in Europe playing with him, and we talked about that night, you know. Cool. And so it's kind of funny. And, it, and Carlos, is he is a character. But well, Mike. That's the understatement of the year. He, but, you know, I'll say something about Carlos, and I have a lot of respect. I, I, I fancy myself as a songwriter, and um, Carlos is one of the most prolific songwriters I know. I think— uh, And good ones, too, good, he, and he, a lot of different his, styles. His yeah. lyrics, they are not run-of-the-mill common, but they flow. And his, his pentameter and his rhyming schemes, are, it's just a, if, if you ever get a chance, check out some of Carlos's stuff. He's got lots of CDs out. And when you buy a Carlos CD, you don't get like nine songs, ten songs. You get like 18. You get as many songs as the CD memory will hold. hold. That's 72 minutes. There's uh -huh. no 10 songs as an album. No, it's as many as, what is it, <laughs> eight, 700, 800 megabytes? Right, yeah. It's 800 megabytes worth of songs. Well, when you got, criteria. and this is no lie, when you got like 6,000 tunes, yeah. you can afford to do oh, that, man, he's right? great. Yeah. He's yeah. great. So, uh, listen, we've just been talking, but you were doing something, you know, a while ago in the store that uh, you and Mike were fooling around with. Yeah, yeah. And that was really cool. Um, what's the name of that tune? Uh, called Tears Falling Down. Oh, wait a minute. Let me, you mean the, the this one? Well, there was that, but there was that other oh, one. Oh, the pretty one, Tears Falling Down. Yeah, this is going to be on my next album that Pete, Pete Anderson's producing. This is one of the, Pete loves his song, and he just says, you know, I really like it, too. This is a hit, Willie. I'm going to make this a hit for you. And I says, all right. He says, it's all done. And, and I'll tell you, every Monday night I play at the Burbank Moose Lodge with Pete Anderson. It's his band. He plays his first set. I come up and do the second set. And, you know, not too many people can say, hey, Pete Anderson plays rhythm guitar for me. But I can say that. And I can also say I'm the only guy in the world that plays with Pete Anderson's bands. I'm really proud of that. And I love Pete to death. So if you're out there, it's free. It's clean. Sounds great. Every Monday night, just pop on well, in. Well, we all love Pete. We all love Willie. Oh, and man, is this like preceding the puppet show or is this after? Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs>
Nor uh, we are the puppet show. Uh, yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> All right, let's hear this thing, man. Lightning Willie. Let me my get concept. this up for you. Let me get my guitar working. It's fancy, so I got to get it going here. Get you a new one. I know. Oh, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to work better. There we By go. By the way, this old guitar that you're playing is a Gibson ES5. Blonde, Gibson ES5. Very similar to the T-Bone guitar. I, I've got a picture of T-Bone's guitar, and this is... Pretty close. It could be the, the, the brother of T-Bone's guitar. They found his guitar. It's in a shop in Paris now at Matt's Guitar Shop. So if you're in Paris, go by. It's there. It's all been verified, and they say this is it. It's the real deal, you know. So this was made in April of 1950, and I'm wow. very blessed to have it. So it's anyway, beautiful. anyway, I love no. this guitar. It's a, a, a guitar for an adult. <laughs> filled with memories so hard to look around I'm staring at old photographs to speak without a sound my eyes are closed I'm dreaming as these tears come falling down You're dressed in my whole work shirt And we don't have a care My eyes are closed, I'm dreaming You look so lovely standing there But I still remember The way things might have been Hearing your laughter just like it was then Feeling your hand Holding mine I'm just living I'm lost in time I'm just living These tears are falling down It's so hard living here Or in this lonely town With every other corner A memory can be found Or every time I hear your name I quickly look around Or I still remember The way things might have been Hearing your laughter Just like it was then Feeling your hand Holding mine Well, I'm just living I'm lost in time I'm just living These tears are falling down Oh, I'm just living Tears are falling down Oh, I'm just living Tears are falling down ah, yeah. Hey, it's amazing what you can do with three chords. God, isn't it something? You know, some of the best tunes ever written were written simply like that, memorable, and, uh, you know, I mean, it sticks in your head, great lyrics, nice melody, three chords. People three say chords. to me, how, how long does it take before I get to be a good guitar player? As soon as you learn three chords, you can write a tune. In fact, you can write a lot of tunes with three chords. My buddy Tom Petty wrote a lot of tunes with three Indeed. chords and a lot of really good ones. And my buddy Billy Gibbons. 
There's another one. Three chords. That's right. There Start with Twist and Shout. There twist and Shout. Right. Yeah, there it is. There's another one. Isaac you know, Brothers. Uh, Hang on, Sloopy was three chords. That's right. My Girl Sloopy, which was, uh, who, who did that originally? It wasn't, uh, um, Hang on, Sloopy was the McCoys, but right. My Girl, it wasn't the, uh, who was that? The intruders. I'm trying to think, but it was another. Uh, the vibrations. I think oh, did that. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's who did that. And uh, so you know, a lot of these old tunes. And then you know, I don't know who invented the ball, but I'll tell you what. That was a tremendous invention because once you got that, everything kind of seemed to be derivative. But if you're going to steal and if you're going to have things derive, have them derive from something good. Exactly. Exactly. And I've heard a lot of uh, Lightning Willie's tunes, and they're really, really good. Thank you. And uh, again, it's just incorporating the chords and you know putting them together in the uh, in the right way. In the old way, the old, old school way. You know, I'm I'm a real believer in traditional, and I, I can play great guitar, but I like to keep solos short and to the point, so they fit the song. That's like Mike Campbell. That's like George Harrison. Exactly. It's like all those. George guys. Harrison. There it is, right there. That was my guy growing up. You know, George, do a solo. No, just do eight bars. Yeah. Remember we, that? Not twelve. How did the melody go? Just, Let's take the melody and take a, a little bit off the melody. That's, and that's right. That's it. But that's so, it. That's that's my whole thing. You know, live I'm a, I'll stretch a little bit, but not a lot. Cause I like I like I said, primarily I'm a songwriter. I like presenting songs, and I think there's a lot of people out there that don't do that today. But hey, it's okay. Every to each his own. But yeah, I'll, a lot of guys go to you. And you hear that solo. You hear that solo. Well, if I like the tune, I stuck around long enough to hear the solo. If I didn't like the tune, I didn't wait for the solo to come around. Remember Luther Perkins and Johnny Cash? Band? Of course. Yeah. Somebody asked Luther once. Hey, Luther, how come you ain't playing that guitar fancy like all those other guys? He goes, Well. I found what I need to play. Those guys are still looking. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's a good line. That's a, that's a great thing to remember, you know. So anyway. Well, I just want to thank you guys for listening to this stuff. We're going to take a little break right now, and we love you guys for paying attention to Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. And I'm trying to bring you some of the great, great players around L.A. And fortunately, right around this area, we've got within 20 miles of this uh, location, we've got some of the greatest players that ever lived that lived around here. And uh, we've got a great pool to pull from. And the L.A. music scene was something really special. So I want to bring you some of these guys and maybe you don't know who they are, but you should know who they are. And while we're all still around, want to bring you these guys so that uh, you know all these young'uns can hear what the uh, the original guy did and all that so again you know the uh, norm jar guitars podcast you get it for free at spotify apple wherever you get your podcasts the following week you get to see the podcast video on the all guitar network for free so you get a double dose of nothing for nothing and uh, but we think it's really something so i really hope that you guys are digging it please put in a good review for us and uh, tell people you like it and spread the word the norm jar guitars podcast thank you guys we will be right back With my baby late last Saturday night Well everything's fine my baby treat me so right She says Daddy do I treat you nice Daddy let me love you twice I wanna shake my snake I wanna shake my snake I wanna shake my snake I want to shake my snake. Look out, baby. Talk to me, baby, on my telephone. She's a pretty woman, waits for me at home. Says, Daddy, I'm bored right down to my bones. Hurry up, I might not be alone. I won't shake my snake. 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 Look at baby now.
back at the podcast with the great Lightning Willie and my buddy Mike Hightower. These guys are the real deal, and I think when you hear them play, you'll understand they are authentic. And, uh, you know, that's all I can say is that when you play this kind of stuff, if it isn't real, you know it's not real. And these guys are real. And, uh, you know, I got to compliment my buddy Mike because he always he hears everything, man. You know, no rehearsals. He's just right there. He's uh, anticipating and uh, participating right there. So, Lightning Willie. With my baby, one more last Saturday night. Uh-huh. Way she treats me, make me feel so right. Says, Daddy, do I treat you nice? Daddy, let me love you twice. I won't shake my snake. I won't shake my snake. I won't shake my snake. I want to shake my snake. Look out, baby, now look out. Well, that's my story, the end of my song. Well, some say it's short and some say a little too long. I love my baby, Lord, she can do no wrong. Way she loved me, make so big and strong. Yeah, she shakes my snake. Yeah, shake my snake. Yeah, shakes my snake. Yeah, shake my snake. Look out, baby, now look out. There you go. I just give you the ending there. Caught, back to the, and then back to the one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I was going to try to arrange it, but I figured, what the hell? What the you know, going I mean, on you know, here? this is the blues. You know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud to have these guys and honored to have these guys. You know, it's. Uh, We're pleased to be here, Norm. It's uh, these guys are the real deal, as I said. And, and Billy, you played at places like the Royal Albert Hall yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I played all over, all over Europe. I played the London Blues Festival, Cone Festival with Mike and Carlos. Uh, where else? You played with Willie Nelson at that. Uh, I played July. at Willie Nelson's Fourth of July picnic. Uh, watch, watch, saw Bob Dylan like I'm, I'm here. And Dylan is Bob Dylan. And Bob was playing piano, and then he'd end a song, and Bob would go, okay. He'd walk around the piano, talk to Tony Garnier and the, and the guys, like a little football huddle, and he'd go, uh-uh. Okay, he'd come back around the piano, and they'd start playing. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite songs um, that Dylan did was Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. And I don't know if he's played that a lot, but he played it that night, and I was just... I was in tears. I was literally had tears in my eyes because when I was a kid, I used to listen to that song just going like, wow, what a great song. And here I was about 10 feet away from Bob Dylan on that stage playing. You know, Willie Nelson came out and played with us. We got to play with Paula Nelson, Willie's daughter. And um, Leon Russell was on our stage. Um, Los Lonely Boys was on our stage. Now, what it was, it was at the uh, Fort Worth Stockyards. So our stage was here, and all the way across all these people, there was another stage. So you'd, this band would stop, and that band would start up. So it was back and forth. And I'll tell you, Willie went on about 1.30 in the morning, and he's up there just being Willie. And he goes, oh, wow, we, wow what, what? Oh, oh we're going to have some fireworks right now. So then they did fireworks. And I'm going to tell you something about Texas. Everything's big. That fireworks went on for about 40 minutes. And just when you thought it was over, it got bigger. And it kept going. And it kept going. And it kept going. So finally it ended. Willie came back. And Willie played about 4 in the morning. And that was just like, I mean, and I want to tell you something. You ever smoke pot? Don't smoke pot with Willie Nelson. <laughs> His pot is really good. <laughs> and for somebody oh, wow. who don't smoke pot, <laughs> wow. We don't want to be a bad influence here. No, man. not. No, don't no, don't no, do it. No, but I'm going to tell you, that was one of the nicest days of my life. And about the cool thing about it was it was on CMT, and my mother was still alive, and she saw me playing with Willie Nelson. It, it finally just, made it. Yeah, yeah she finally said, did it. look at that. 
Because when I was a boy, I grew up in Texas. Willie used to be on uh, KFJZ as a disc jockey on Saturdays. And he used to play. He had his own show. He'd play what he wanted. And he used to play all this. It wasn't pop. or any, He played what he wanted to play, like Jimmy Rogers. And he'd play blues. He'd just play. And I remember telling Willie when I, I said, I used to listen to you on KFJZ. He kind of went, well. Yeah, I'm not that old. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. <laughs> he was making fun, but he went, wow, really? I said, you were such an influence on me, and your, your phrasing, your phrase, because his phrasing is so off. If you listen to Willie sing, he does not sing on the one. There's, I don't, he just takes the one out of his vocabulary, out of his brain, because he'll sing late. He'll sing on the end. He'll, send, he'll sing anywhere except on that one. He's kind of like Sinatra. Sinatra had a, a great way of phrasing. And Willie said he... Swinging. Got a, swinging. Yeah. He got a lot of his stuff from Sinatra. Uh-huh. It was a big influence, you know. So, But that was a big day in my life, you know. And I've, I've had some other big days, but that was pretty cool. And just being... You know, I think... the I knew B.B. King pretty well, and we would talk, and, and he was always so proud because he was sitting there because of his guitar, you know, and and it was funny. One time I was I was in Italy playing, and we played this uh, the Pistoa Festival, and I was back in my hotel room. I had my guitar on the bed, and I looked at it, and I just kind of went, "Wow, I'm here because of you." And I had this conversation with my guitar, and I remember BB saying that, and everything. And I'm sitting here now because of this. I mean, I met Norm. God, we were kids, you know, a long time ago, all because of a guitar. And it's just, and I'm always, I just, it's just such a great, great life. You have your highs, you have your lows, you're late on your rent, don't got enough money in your gas tank to get to a gig, but you get to it. So it always, you always end up getting there and then all of a sudden, bang. You and know, you did what you wanted to do I've, all your I've life. I lived right? my whole life. It's my passion. And I did go to school to study music, which I suggest you do if you want to play. And I listened to the old cats. All Muddy and BB and Albert and Freddie, all those guys, Hubert Sumlin. I mean, play blues. Little Milton. Yeah, Little Milton. One of my favorites. God. Sophisticated blues, you know, I mean, big band kind of blues. Just really, really oh, cool. T-Bone. I loved him. T-Bone. Was T-Bone, Low Folsom. I mean, yep. God, you know. Anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm proud to be here with Mike Hightower. We did a show with Robert Cray a little while ago, and who was playing bass. And it was funny, I was telling Norm, I looked at some videos of it, and I'm looking at it. I'm going, what's Mike wearing? And Mike was wearing one of these T-shirts. <laughs> so I'm kind said, of his no, haberdasher no, as well no, as uh, supplier of Norm's instruments. Norm's tailoring, you know. So anyway. i got to tell you, if, if you don't even want to come to Norm's for guitars, come and get the T-shirts. It's the greatest T-shirts there are. I've got hopefully every one of them. Well, and there's there, a lot of designs. I, I, when I started work uh, in my life, I thought I'd always have a job where I could wear a T-shirt. And Norm, you've, you've Here provided that for I've me. provided that. <laughs> We're uh, proud of our T-shirts. We are. Norm. We're proud to know Norm, too, man. Thank well, you. thank you, buddy. You thank know, you. I want to tell you, you know, we were talking about Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan playing piano. And these days, he hardly plays guitar anymore right. on the gig. You know, I mean, you know, I know so many people have gone to see him play. I actually have a guitar that I loaned him. Uh, I'm friends with his manager. And um, Bob, for whatever reason, had seen somebody playing an ES-225. And he said, yeah, that kind of dark sunburst, single cutaway, sharp cutaway with P90 pickups. And so his manager, Jeff, you know, is a buddy of mine and said, you know, Bob was requesting this particular tune, uh, this particular guitar. And he had something he wanted to use it on. And we took the guitar and we actually did a mod to the guitar. Um, They have like this kind of trapeze tailpiece that Mm -hmm. makes it a little bit difficult to play. So we put on a shorter trapeze and put on a tunematic bridge so Mm -hmm. that we can get the intonation right for him and everything. And it's one of the only guitars that he's actually played in the last number of years. Very rarely do you see him pick up a guitar anymore. And he's a man of very few words. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing, he's so prolific. And he's so great with lyrics and all that. But when you talk to him, you expect him to say something so profound that you'll remember (laughs) it forever. And his, you know, his answers are generally, yeah, all right, uh uh-huh, no. You know, and it's like, you know, you know how bright he is, but it's sort of, I don't know if he does that. (laughs) Just, you know, I've seen him do interviews with people and they're begging for something prolific to come out of there. And it's like... 
Yeah, I did that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, you, you just want more. But there was one night I was invited by him and his manager to go see at the Music Cares thing, which is a charity for musicians and all mm -hmm. that, that's, you know. That's a good thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been to, there was one that James Taylor was featured and I've been in a few. And Bob invited me to this other one that he did. And I was sitting to next to a couple people. Actually, Bonnie Raitt was at a table right behind me and a few other really well-known celebrities. And a lot of people, what they do is they come up and do a Bob Dylan tune. And when they did, um, uh, you know, any of the other artists, you know, that they honored, every all these other artists would come up and honor them by doing one of their tunes. And finally, after about, you know, 20 people, you know, Sting and Bruce Springsteen and, uh, you know, Bonnie and all these people came up and did a Bob Dylan tune. They brought him up and I kind of looked over and I was with my son. My wife actually couldn't go that night. And um, my son was there and I was going, watch this. He's going to go, thank you very much and just kind of walk away. And it was the only time I ever saw him do this. He had about 10 pages and he was reading this stuff and he was going, you know, Lieber and Stoller, uh, you know, they didn't like my stuff. They didn't like my songs or my singing. Well, I didn't like their songs. You know, and it was like he went into this whole thing, and it was so, you know, out of the Dylan character because usually he he's so few words and just kind of thank you very much and see you later, and he's gone. But he went into this whole thing, and it was, it was, it was really cool. I mean, it was really cool to see. But, and it was very funny, and... Uh, it was so out of character from everything else he's ever done wow. in these interviews. I saw in 60 Minutes they interviewed him. Again, that. it was these, you know, really short answers like, you know. So, yeah, it was like, you know, uh, so what made you pick up guitar? Well, I like guitar. <laughs> you know, and stuff, you know, it was like, you know, just exactly what you weren't expecting or didn't want to hear. You wanted to hear something much more, more profound, but you didn't get it from Bob. So, uh, you know, with all these you know, guys that you guys have played with and all that. You know, we all have these stories and, you know, and they're true and these guys are legends and they get known for one thing and kind of when you see them in a, you know, when they're sort of more relaxed and in different spots. He's been in my store where he's signed guitars for people and been really cordial and there's other times he sort of kind of drifted in a corner and kind of pulled his hat down a little bit like he didn't want to be noticed and so you just never know what you're going to get, you know. Well, he was, remember... Your old store was up on Tampa and Van Owen, next to oh, Toru right. LA sure. Guitar Works. Right, right. Sure. Mm -hmm. I totally remember. Well, yeah, he that. would drop in there. A lot. I was in there one time playing, and Dan you weren't there, but Danny was there. Your old uh -huh. Danny, went. and I'm sitting there playing this old National Trovador, and I'm playing. I'm just playing some blues stuff. I had it open tuned. I'm just, and I hear this. Well, that sounds really nice, and I turn around. Dang, it was Bob Dylan. <laughs> You know, and I just, and I, you know, I turned back around and I kept playing because, like, I was freaking out. That store was so small, if you fell over or he it, fell over, you'd be landing on somebody. Yeah, or and I just, I kept playing, then I saw, and then he went and he was talking to Danny, and I tell, and, and I'm just looking at him, and like, when Bob left, I'm standing there, he looked at me, he just kind of went, hey, you know, that was cool, you know, like, just see you later. And he left and he went out the door, and I stood up and I went, yeah. So I bought that National, which I still have today. <laughs> I still have it. Well, Bob, if things don't work out in your music <laughs> career, I think we'll hire you. you know, yeah, so. exactly. Hey, but Bob, that was quite an honor. Just to, uh, My claim to fame on instruments, I, Prince's Telly, that was the one that got him that. Really? When I was in the biz, yeah, working in the yeah, at a well, music store in Hollywood. <laughs> well, Mike worked at uh, a couple of the big box stores, yep. and I'm not ashamed to say you worked at Guitar Center, right? You know, well, yeah, but it's uh, he's that, ashamed to say yeah, it. That, <laughs> no, that's, no, it, it that's was a, you know, until, it's a big box store. Listen, they are, uh, you know, I'm small time next to those guys. I have a, I have my spot, but you yes, know, but a, there's honorable people in there, are dishonorable people. So well, we you're get one of the too. honorable. People, we try. Know. Thank you very much. And I don't right. want to name names, but there are many dishonorable people. Well, listen, when you got 10,000 employees, you're going to get uh, well, the good and the bad. I believe know, so. uh, Mitt Romney's responsible for uh, buying out uh, the big corporation, uh, and uh, I believe his company 
is who bought it from the management that took it from the employees at 10% on the dollar. And, and he, he, de things... he designates, he, he does that. Uh, I believe Experian, Domino's Pizzas were all employee-owned corporations, Mitt Romney's bank capital attacks. They have the same law firm that handles each thing. But so. didn't it end up getting sold to heirs after that? I have no idea. Yeah, I just I know think it got this was 87. Yeah, yeah. I introduced uh, Mitt Romney's company to Guitar Center, and they said nothing's going on. Then five, ten years later, all of a sudden, they happen to be the owners. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, things happen. And, you know, in the corporate world, we're the anti-corporate world. I mean, you are. You know, we're like— Thank uh, God there's some people that yeah, are still— Yeah, well, we're the ma and pa, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, we get all the— uh, you know, all my old buddies like you guys, you know, that I get to see so often that I'm always glad to see that just dropping in. And, you know, you never know who might walk through the door. You, and you know, I'll say this about you, Norm. There's, I, I, was, I hope it's something good for it a change. Was, I was in the south of France in a, in, in a town called uh, Montpellier, and there was a great club there called the Rock Store. Anyway, we stayed in a really a pretty nice hotel. So... I'm in the room and I'm talking to the concierge and he knows that we're playing there because I got a posters in my picture. He's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we give you a book for your room. So I went up to my room. You know whose book was in there? Norm's book was in this hotel. They got they brought Norm's book into my room. That was probably my illiterary agent. No, this is <laughs> most this people who write your, a book have a literary Carlos, agent. I have it was your Carlos. It was, yeah, it could have been Carlos Guitarlos. Norm's collection of guitars. It was a, a book of yours of pictures. Yeah. And I just, I went, wow. And I remember going, I said, thank you for the book. And they go, oh, yes. You know, they said, we thought you would have liked that. And I'm like, yeah, I love it. But there you were. And I sat there going, isn't this funny? I'm 6,000 miles away from home. And here's this guy that I've known all my life. A little bit of California. Yeah, and here's his book <laughs> on my desk in this hotel room in Montpellier. Anyway, it's just well, it's, not to promote the book, but you don't have to read more than words with like five <laughs> letters in it for the most part to you know read this book. Oh, but it was it's, great. You know, it's truthful, and you know whatever brain cells I have left, I figure I better get it out before uh, yeah, you know there's nothing left to remember. So you know, and it's kind of good hearing from the old guys and hearing some of these things and remembering some of these instances before. You know, I can't anymore. And, you know, like to pass them on to some people and, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe some young people that are interested in doing things in the music business. We want to encourage them. We even have some shows with some guys that uh, we have this show with uh, a guy named Jared has this thing called the Jingle Punks. And Jared is a, a very good uh, musician, but he's like a good guitar player, but he's not Eddie Van Halen or right. Wes Montgomery or anything or whoever, or, you know, uh, Joe Bonamassa or whatever. But he's turned a career in playing music, and he did it by doing music for a lot of these TV shows that were on these cable networks mm -hmm. that nobody wanted to bother with. Everybody was going after the big network shows. He went after the cable shows. Then after a while, everybody was going, you know, maybe we should start thinking about these other cable networks so he turned it into a career and there's a lot of ways um, to make a living in the music business from being a great performer or being a producer yeah. an engineer um, you know there's so many things you could do behind the scenes um, you know uh, just uh, he, he found a lane for himself that he didn't have to be a complete virtuoso to get this right. thing done and to uh, you know and make a career out of it. So, you know, if you love music and maybe uh, things don't work out necessarily for your band or your single thing, there's probably other ways that you can make a living plan and that way you can stay in a business one way or another, plan right, B, plan exactly. C. I was just telling a kid out in front, sitting out front here with the guitar, I think y'all saw him when we were walking yeah. by. I asked him, I says, you a lifer? <laughs> and he goes, well, I don't know. I says, well, you gotta get another hustle. Yeah, you know, yeah. make sure you got a couple of hustles here, because if you're a lifer, you're gonna have to do. And, and me, I'm lucky that I, I've, I've been in and out the business that you know with the guitars and stuff. And I'm lucky I went back and managed to West LA Music for a couple uh -huh. of years, Another stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. when you need go while. back into the biz a little bit, get your money together, get back out and play again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing is, is if you can make a good career out of doing whatever, and you have enough money, being in LA, you can hire some of the greatest musicians in the world. Sure. Oh my You goodness. can go to a place like the Sunset Marquee, which is a great hotel that has a 
state-of-the-art recording studio right in there, or you can get your own home studio and do whatever you want to do. So a lot of ways to uh, tackle the bull, as they say. <laughs> so listen, guys, you know, we're going to cut out of here, and this has been a real pleasure. It's like, you know, great talking to some of my old friends, great musicians, and people that you need to know about. The great Mike Hightower on bass, and Lightning Willie, Billy Hermes on Thank the guitar. You. And uh, we're going to take us out with uh, another blues thing, right? You can tell we were bye bye. Bye bye, baby. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye, baby. Bye bye. We hate to see you go, but see you soon. Bye bye, baby. Goodbye, baby. Bye bye. Bye bye. Huh? Bye bye, baby. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, baby. Bye-bye. You look better going than coming. Bye-bye, baby. Goodbye, baby. Bye-bye. Keep it going, guys. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to Norm's Rare Guitars Podcast. I love you all so much, and we're honored that you guys listened to us. I'm honored that I got my old friends coming in. Uh, make sure that you tune into the All Guitar Network, and you can see the video of this the following Tuesday. And it's all free, and uh, we give you back our money back at guarantee. So um, we're worth every penny of what you pay for this, and maybe even a little more. So I hope you guys stick with us. Keep telling your friends about Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Spread the word. Let's hope this thing catches on because I'd like to continue on doing this for as long as I can. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Thank you all. Hey everybody, Norm over here, and we want to talk about uh, what they were playing. So we got uh, Billy Hermes, Lightning Willie, on this gorgeous blonde ES5. It plays good notes. He just hit a bad note there, but that That's was by right, mistake. He never hits, never hits a bad note unless he intentionally does. But uh, I don't know what that was. Maybe you were too near me. Maybe that bad note <laughs> was inspired by never. myself. So, so tell me about the guitar. He's got three P90s. Three P90s. Three volume knobs, volume, 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 and this and is a master, master tone. tone. Everybody thinks it's a master volume, and, and people come up and say, "Oh, that's the master volume on your guitar." I said, "No, it's the master tone." No, you're wrong. That's the master volume. I said, "No, it's the master tone." I just tell them it's a masturbator. Yeah, and I just say it's a masturbator. So anyway, each pickup, I'll show you real quick just to give you an idea. Now watch what happens here. I'll put this on here. Watch what happens. Now I bring this in. See little brighter. It gets, and then you go like this, it's like. Now, if I go really tricky and go like this, take this off, and we get into a little. So it's just got all these little. It's got so many tones in it, I still haven't found them all. It's buttery, creamy. And then you got the back one, which you know. So anyway, and he's also guitar. it's a 17 inch body with a maple top, and uh, this has got flat wounds on it. And this is a guitar that really begs for flat wounds, oh, right? I, 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 when I first got it, it had round wounds on it, and I played it. I'm going, so where I got it, I asked them. I said, if I brought in a set of flat wounds, could I put it on there? And they went, well, we got some flat wounds here, so they actually had it restrung for it, gave it back to him, and I sat there playing it, going, oh yeah, it was just. It was instant love. I actually went into the store to look at a Sunburst um, ES5, and they pulled this out of the box, out of the case. They opened the case, and I looked at it, and I kind of went, oh, man. And they uh -oh. said, uh, sorry I, to disappoint you, but it's, it's This a isn't a Sunburst. Gone. What's going on with this, man? This is bad, you know? Yeah. So anyway, so, so. One of my favorites. I love blonde arch tops. I guitars. wanted this guitar so bad, and I got one, and I've had it, and I'm just. I've never looked back. What year did you say? April 1950. Wow. Yeah. Man, that thing is such, so beautiful. It's in beautiful shape. Old. 
I got a little sweat for yeah, me yeah. playing, but you know, it's it's kind of like I, I I took it to someone saying, "Hey, can I get this fixed?" And they went, "I'll leave it alone." No, I don't mess with it. And my wife says, "You have." You have that old guitar that was relicked. Who relicked it? And I said, yes. And you wanted it all beaten up. And then you get this old, beautiful guitar, and you beat it up naturally, and then you want to go back and get it fixed? I don't get you guys. Well, you know what the good thing about playing a guitar that looks this beautiful is? Mm -hmm. People are going to focus on the guitar, oh, yeah. not on that they face. They do look here. at me, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and exactly. then, Mike, yes. you were playing a 76 P bass. Yeah, I'm just so just one of those instruments that, you know, I'm not usually a huge fan of Southernese basses, but some of them are really good. This one happens to be a good player, right? Yeah, and I've I've got a I got a, a reissue Fender gave me. I played their Christmas party, so it was that. And uh, the metal on the newer stuff, the tuning, it's just the old basses just fall right into tune. Yeah. They've been. Well, the one thing is when they settle in too. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, you know, if you play an instrument that's been playing good for 40, 50, 60 years. There's a very good chance it's going to stay the course for a lot longer. You know, when you get something that's brand new, of course, the wood's got to settle, and you don't know what you're going to get until it finally uh, settles in. And then the old wood to begin with. A lot of this stuff is older wood before it ever became a guitar. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, that's what we were playing, and just wanted to explain this to you guys, and thank you guys for listening and watching, and uh, it's the Norm's Rare Guitars Podcast. Love you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening. Please rate, review, and tell us what you like about our podcast. If you don't like anything, don't tell us. We're actually tell us so we can correct it. Anyhow, you can get us at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a guitar freak, you're going to love this show. we got some great guitar players coming up. If you're not a guitar freak, if you're just a freak, you'll still love this show. Thank you for listening.